0: This episode is supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. Crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories, Seedlip spirit solved the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking, whether it's for the night, the month, or forever. Because as a non-drinker, it does not feel good if your only options are water, soda, or sugary mocktails. So now you can skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life. So whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process. Including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of SeedLip's three variants, which are Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grove 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. But they can also be used to make more complex cocktails. And you'll find those in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at seedlip underscore NA. So head on over to seedlipdrinks.com or.ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite new non-alcoholic spirit. They're available in Canada and us and now at lcbo stores across ontario and again that is seedlipdrinks.com and this family tree 10 hello everyone i'm alex and i'm here with my husband shane we are so glad you could join us for happy hour on this family tree podcast episode 135
1: and how are you feeling alex
0: not good but i am excited
1: i just got a sore throat 10 minutes before we started recording
0: and I know that because I told you, hey, Shane, I just started to get a tickle in my throat. Do you feel okay? And you said, no. I also just and started getting a sore throat.
1: Your eyes look nuts right now, too.
0: I'm wiped. I'm exhausted. I've been hanging out by the pool for the last couple hours. But that's a story I'll get into soon. But I, I feel crazy. I feel crazy.
1: Yeah. You look like the guy who who has the uh, the bulgy, icy old actor.
0: Ronnie Dangerfield?
1: No. Him also, but... <laughs> the bell tower he's not quasimodo Quasimodo,
0: he's the bell tower guy
1: is he the one uh, there's an actor an old timey actor some people know who i'm talking about you know he wears the hood and his eyes bulge
0: you you mean the guy from young frankenstein yes igor
1: yes you look like igor (laughs) much prettier though (laughs) Sorry, continue, continue.
0: Shane always has the most uh, flattering celeb looks. Like you me.
1: you can look like a very beautiful person, but be the not attractive version. What mm. I'm saying is, you look like the attractive version of Igor,
0: and I'm hot Rodney Dangerfield. Yes, you're you're so getting so kind.
1: cocky lately. <laughs> like you can be you're modest. Trying to
0: take me down a peg.
1: I'm the hot Rodney.
0: Oh come on, Shane.
1: What? you if I'm re- not
0: the hot Rodney.
1: You're Bizarro Rodney. You get respect in this house. <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, we have a great episode for you tonight. We have Jillian Kozlowski. She is a pediatric sleep expert. But instead of baby sleep, because we've talked about that. And quite honestly, I don't have babies anymore. So I don't care about baby sleep anymore. Boring. We have children and toddlers. A child, a toddler.
1: So Babies are still we, children, aren't
0: they? Yeah, but they're like young children. We, I guess. Oh, so this is sleep expert for older children, and she was so great because I put it out there to you guys. I said, "Hey, I'm having Jillian on the podcast. What should I ask her?" I got about 150 questions written in. However, those 150 questions could only be in like 20 different categories. So, if it is any, what's the word I need? If it is any comfort to you, we all have the same sleep issues, and I found that really nice to know but julian answers everything she's really great so i really hope you guys uh enjoy this interview Can you
1: pass me my hat please thank you i don't like my hair
0: oh i'm glad you're covering your hair for you and i doing a podcast in the living room at nighttime.
1: no it makes me uncomfortable my hair it's always touching my head and itching me
0: isn't that the nature of hair is that it touches your head
1: i don't like it <laughs> <laughs> can't i just have the hat and not banter about it for now. All
0: right, but should. Sure. here, cheers, baby.
1: You know I don't like hair touching my head. I have sensitive skin.
0: Cheers. Seedlip Garden 108 and Tonic, our non-alcoholic cocktail for the night. Enjoy.
1: I wonder how Seedlip feels about how quick these uh, ad reads have gotten from, from the beginning.
0: Well, we do a proper ad for them. You're
1: right. What is this, product placement? <laughs> product placement that we're happy to do. <laughs> We honestly are, though, especially after the libations that we had over the weekend.
0: Y'all, Shane and I went for a great, like a beginning of summer,
1: couples beginning
0: retreat. of a uh, hard, difficult summer, couples, ret- I can't even speak now, couples retreat.
1: It's true. We did. We uh, reconnected with each other.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. And like, I just say that in the sense that right before we went, I was Whew, I was feeling it like I was not, I was happy, but like I wasn't happy. I wasn't as happy as I could be. I wasn't uh, having an easy time with things. I was very pent up, very stressed. And this retreat couldn't have come at a better time because it was right when I was getting like too pent up that we went away and you and I had a wonderful time. And it is like the anecdote for just typical everyday things that kind of put strain on a marriage. I think that going for a getaway is the best medicine just for your, you know, everyday mm-hmm. problems. Antidote. Anecdote. Antidote.
1: <laughs> yeah, because antidote. It's like the 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 cure, right? An anecdote's like a
0: an anecdote is something you say, like a, yeah,
1: yeah. I just wanted to clarify because sometimes I get scared and I think mm-hmm. I'm smart,
0: no. and I
1: just had uh, I've been saying a word wrong my entire life because no. you're the English teacher, right?
0: Yeah, this is me being a dope. This is yeah. absolutely me being a dope.
1: But are you pent at all now? No, pented down.
0: I'm pented down. I'm um, loosened up, feeling good. It was like the second you and I got there. It was already so easygoing. Like we checked in our room, threw our stuff on the bed and it was just immediate relief. You know what I mean?
1: But when we come home, I do feel like we have mono for two days. Always.
0: I I still feel like I'm mono. Is this day two or is this day three? I can
1: barely, like I'm wearing a sweatshirt right now and I'm barely strong enough to lift my arms up. I'm just I'm- so weak. My body gets so drained of energy from drinking and eating poorly and falling out of a routine. Was it worth it? Hell yes. Will I be drinking or eating bad for the next month and a half? No. Yeah, I
0: know. Yeah, we're getting we're getting back in it. We got to feel good again, guys.
1: And I want to look good for my sketch show coming up. I'm shooting in September want to be a hot funny guy you know
0: well at two workouts a day you're gonna be you're gonna be (laughs) that was very
1: canadian (laughs) two Two workouts two
0: workouts at two workouts a day you're gonna do a very good job of it but you're you're gonna be like the zach braff type and or nathan fielder do you see he was just on the cover of a magazine shirtless
1: no oh He's, he's always had a good body though
0: well, you know, Always. it's like it's like, it's like his nipples upward, so you don't see much of his body, but it's like his nipples, his hairy chest, and then his face just looking directly into your eyes.
1: Is he looking good?
0: He looks like Nathan Fielder. Okay, it's- then
1: why bring it up? I thought we we're talking about hot, funny guys.
0: Well, because I'm saying you might own the game here, but Zach Braff, who you already look like is a hot, funny guy. What about Ryan is, Reynolds?
1: Is Zach Braff considered hot? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Really? I've never Scrubs heard- days? Was he considered hot?
0: I think so. People like him. Women like him.
1: I've never heard anyone say Zach Braff is hot. I've heard many women say you look like Zach Braff. (laughs) And then I've Googled, is Zach Braff hot? And then it said no. Google told me no.
0: Ryan Reynolds.
1: Do I look like him?
0: No, I'm just saying hot funny guy. Oh,
1: okay. Well, way to do a non- So
0: I'm just giving you your competition in this category.
1: Okay. Well, what about Andy Samberg?
0: He's a hot funny guy.
1: What about Jimmy Fallon?
0: Yeah, not my type, but yeah.
1: Okay. Well, I want to be one of those people, I guess. <laughs> but moving on, it was Betty's birthday today.
0: It was Betty's birthday. And
1: what a celebration. This was one of the oh, most Lord. elaborate parties I've ever, not only, what why, why are you rubbing your face?
0: Okay, because at least like when Lucy turned to, guys, I went and found a few toys that she hadn't played with for a couple months, wrapped them, and gave her those toys to open. For poor, forgotten Betty, I didn't even give her anything to unwrap today.
1: But for Lucy's birthday, it was my birthday. So you kind of have to make it more of a thing because you have two people to... I guess I'm supposed to do something for Lucy.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: I, but because it's my birthday, I feel like I don't have to. I shouldn't feel that way.
0: No, you you should do more in the lead up, I guess. And then I'll handle the distribution of everything day yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. But... Betty's it's just it came in a really tough time like you had a day with what like three or four really important meetings one of your meetings was like three and a half hours long uh Lucy was in basketball camp and I had work I had to do because today was my only day with a babysitter this week so I was like, okay I need to use this day to get like lots of things done all in one day and any time you have like a period of time where you need to get lots of good, th- lots of things done, whether it's work, whether it's have a fun time, whether it's sleep. It's just there's so much pressure on that moment of time. And then I you can never do any of those things.
1: Are two year olds cognizant enough to even deserve a birthday party? <laughs> no, I don't think two year olds. I'm saying one two, F it. Don't even throw a party. I don't like them. There's no point. It's for the adults and the grandparents. So we had grandparents over today yeah. who were probably shit talking us in the car. <laughs> like, well, that was their party for the two. But Lou had twice the like ability to understand a birthday than Betty does right now. Yeah. Betty doesn't even like sweets. So, yeah, let's just save birthday parties for three when they're cognizant.
0: <laughs> That's fair. I think that's wait. Is there ever an age? It'd be crazy to suggest that there's an age in which we stop as people get older.
1: I think being cognizant is the age that you. If you're not no longer cognizant, why throw a party? You're just doing it, right?
0: Because then I guess it could be scary too for that person.
1: Yeah, if you're scaring someone by throwing a party, I wouldn't. But you know, it's hard to know when a person's <laughs> cognizant because someone might not seem cognizant when they're older. But we definitely know Betty does not care about birthday parties because she's never really had a memory of a party. Whereas an older person, they might not seem cognizant, but at least they've had memories of previous birthday parties, maybe. Mm -hmm.
0: And then, then, you know, they talk about smell and music being really good, you know, facets into old brainwaves and things like that. So I'm sure that would help.
1: And that happy birthday song is definitely (laughs) one that you'd remember if if any. Like Jingle Bells and Happy Birthday. Two of the easiest songs to sing.
0: Absolutely. And remember. But Shane, moving on. Okay, so there was this article that I read. I was gonna say in the paper, but like obviously not the paper who reads a physical paper. I read it online. Somewhere online, Mm. an online newspaper. And it was about a person at Subway. Who asked for no mayo on their sandwich. And then the workers put mayo on the sandwich. And then what does the guy do? He goes and kills possibly two workers. He killed one worker for sure and definitely either injured or killed a second one.
1: I don't even think you got that story right. (laughs) It's actually worse than that. No. The person didn't ask for no mayo. They just asked for mayo. And he thought that they put too much mayo on. What? Yeah. So
0: he was getting what he wanted, just too much of a good thing.
1: Well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's like you could like ketchup, mm-hmm. but if it's just slathered everywhere, you could think that's a big insult. And as a m- person who dislikes Mayo, this story, obviously, um, it resonated because yeah. it's not like I would. I, I've been furious. Obviously, murder is crossing the line. We can all agree on that. <laughs> right. But. Yeah, you got to you got to definitely be careful when taking someone's order and listening to it because you just n- never know how how a customer is going to react to something. I you Clearly. know I've, I've sold cell phones. I've had terrible reactions, some bordering on violent altercations for screwing up someone's mm. phone plan. But uh, yeah, one thing's for certain, murder is not good
0: off the table but i mean shouldn't this have maybe you know scared the service industry into writing things down so they know exactly like when you and i were in niagara i mean we asked for blue cheese on our buffalo chicken wraps didn't get any blue cheese and we're the nicest people about it yeah the nicest
1: that I think they got the order right. They just, there was too much mayonnaise.
0: Well, this made me think of you obviously immediately because you do hate mayo. And I've realized, because we've been doing the good food food boxes Mm -hmm. and they give us mayo like once a week to make a sauce from or whatever. And I realized how much I missed mayo, not having it in the house, being married to you and just being like, oh, I can live without mayo because I can. But then eating it once a week, I'm like, oh man, this has a nice zing to it. And I really love it.
1: Mayo or Miracle Whip?
0: Ew. No, Mayo. The Hellman's, I like the Hellman's real Mayo. I don't know what makes it real over Miracle Whip or wait, Miracle Whip's whipped cream.
1: When there's Mayo in the house, I tell the people to go to Hellman.
0: Um, okay, but this made me think. It okay, She would never obviously get mad enough to do oh, Hellman. I get it now. But she's uh, <laughs> shaking his head no, at me. Just- and, um, but I was like, okay, what is the angriest you've gotten at a stranger? Somebody who maybe didn't deserve it. Because this guy obviously went like incredibly overboard.
1: Murder's wrong.
0: Murder's wrong. But I'm thinking of what's the angriest you've gotten at a stranger? Because I was thinking about my own experiences with that. And there's two that I could think of. And one we recently shot a TikTok about for true earth but it was me following home somebody who was littering yeah um so i did that and i was like furious but then confused once i actually confronted them because i like didn't know what to say i was they look at me and they go what and it's like uh you you dropped your garbage and i in my mind i was gonna have this great line about how you dropped your garbage it's
1: the same line you're just saying it sexier i guess
0: Well, with more attitude, like take that. But then in real life, I was just like some shaking, scared girl who didn't know what the heck I got myself into. What'd the person do? They just took the garbage and then stared at me and then I ran the hell away, like ran. And it was a weird situation. But the second time I was at a bar in Vienna, Austria and there was this guy, this Australian guy there and he was just kind of being like, You know, a bit obnoxious all night. But we hadn't really spoken much. And then at one point, he was like, Yeah, Canada has no good music. And I was like, Neil Young. And he goes, Neil Young's American. What are you talking about? Without hesitating, I picked up my drink and just threw the contents of my drink in his face. Everybody at the table just stopped and stared at me. And they're like, What the hell was that about? And again, I didn't even know. I was just shaking and I was so angry in my state that he would suggest Neil Young was American. And then I got so nervous that I threw the drink and then again, booted it the heck out of there.
1: A lot of women think they can just start throwing their drinks around when they're <laughs> upset, I've noticed. That used to be a big trend, I'm not sure if it still is. But back in the day, I would, I would be at a club and I swear I'd see three drinks thrown a night.
0: Have you ever had a drink thrown at you?
1: All three were thrown at me. But I, I'm so good at ducking and weaving that I, I, I say I saw them because they never landed.
0: They land on other people and start fights with other people.
1: Sure. Yeah. But.
0: It was a movie thing, though.
1: Yes. You watch it in a movie. It's always the, no. the woman. And then it becomes the culture.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Do you think it's still a thing for women to throw drinks? I
0: can't remember the last time it's been in a movie. So I don't think No,
1: I see it in reality shows though. If you're watching Desperate Housewives or no real housewives. Yeah,
0: but they're like they're more in our era of television and movies. So it's like I think they were raised in the same time we were, we were like the tail end of drinks thrown in faces in media. But now I don't think that's anywhere really.
1: Would you rather be would you rather be slapped or have a drink thrown in your face?
0: Oh by a woman slapped drink ruins your outfit your makeup slapped stings a little bit but then it's done a drink you have to go and get changed
1: what if they slap you on the nose your nose starts bleeding though
0: well that's more like a
1: punch nose slap (laughs) have
0: you have you been nose slapped yeah you have
1: well not intentionally just I've got a larger nose so sometimes people can't help but slap it okay (laughs) I've got that Zach Braff (laughs) nose you know
0: but have, has this happened to you before? Like, and you've like it's bled, and you've had to like go home, and because that's a big deal.
1: I didn't go home. <laughs> bleeding all over. The park. <laughs> I'm going home. My nose is bleeding. I just go to the washroom.
0: That that's what. Okay, the last time I was slapped was a couple nights in our sleep. chain. do you know you got me twice, two nights in a row, at like three a.m. You're, you've been, no, your arms have been exceptionally long and lanky lately. And I think because you've been doing more weights, they're just like heavier. So you've been falling in these deep sleeps and then just tossing your body, and your dead weight arm has been coming across and hitting me in the face.
1: So my arm has been gaining muscle?
0: It's, it's very heavy, it's That's heavier positive. than it used to be. There you go. The,
1: sorry about the beating I'm giving you, but
0: <laughs> you got me. It's once, unintentional. Once in the eye, and then once in the chest, and both times I was like Shane, and you were just so dead in your sleep that well, I'm no.
1: sound canceling headphones. Yeah. By the way, Beats soundproof mm-hmm. headphones or earbuds or whatever, they're Beats Pro way better than AirPods.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Um, okay.
1: Your mom got me them
0: well I give her the idea obviously but I saw a thing and it was talking about like how and this could have been from like the, an anti-vaxxer website I honestly don't know because I didn't look into it enough because my p ended but it was an article about how the radiation from our cell phones is like bad for us and I already kind of knew that but then somebody commenting on it in the comments was like AirPods are the worst because it's bringing the radiation right to your ears and your brain. It, do you think there's any truth in that? Like,
1: I don't know anything, but I know the type of people who say that are also people who don't get vaccinated.
0: And there are also people that tend to be on cell phones a lot.
1: Yeah, they're usually people who are on cell phones telling you not to wear AirPods and they're 5G. telling you not to get vaccinated. No. Yeah. Anyway, let's go to this Interview.
0: Yeah, let's do it. We are talking to you again, Jillian Kozlowski, super excited.
1: But before we get to this interview, let's tell everyone who we are supported by.
0: We are supported by Bravado Designs.
1: Yes, we are.
0: The makers of the most practical and the most comfortable bras that you can get your hands on.
1: Yes, I didn't invent these bras, but I definitely stand by them. And I mean that literally because Alex is always wearing them.
0: Oh, I thought you meant like I throw my laundry on the floor and then you're always just standing by them.
1: Do you know what? I'm surprised I've never seen a bra really on the floor.
0: Well, I am careful with the things that I truly love. And I do truly love bravado designs. You got me my first one when I was, you know, in the process of nursing Lucy.
1: And I'm going to get you your last one. Because till death do us part, I take very seriously. And you have lupus, which means (laughs) I'm joking. We'll both die at the same time. (laughs)
0: And you know what, though? That is possible now because before Bravado Designs only made nursing bras and they were, I like I've said a million times, the most comfortable and practical nursing bras, which they still make. But now they have the everyday collection. So these what? are bras with no clips. They're not just for nursing mothers. They're for everybody. So Shane, I mean, you can get me my last
1: bra. Yeah, I know that.
0: And hopefully we'll be getting Bravado Designs uh, if you are really thinking that you love me. But you can get the nursing bras at bravadodesigns.com or you can head to the Canadian website for access to the everyday collection at ca.bravadodesigns.com. But regardless of which website you go to, remember this morbid ad and use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off. Again, that is bravadodesigns.com and thisfamilytree20. And now let's get to our interview with Jillian. It is so nice to meet you, Jillian. Thank you so much for coming on this Family Tree podcast today. I'm so happy. A mutual friend who's also been on the podcast hooked us up. And she said, hey, have you had a baby sleep expert on your podcast before? And I said, yeah, I've had a couple. And, you know, I don't really have babies anymore. But I've got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And you said that's right in your wheelhouse. So I'm so happy to be able to chat about this. So, Jillian... If you can tell me who you are, what your background is. Yeah, definitely. So I'm so happy to be here.
2: Thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Jillian Kozlowski. I'm the founder and owner of Snooze Baby Co. I get I love what I do. I get to empower parents with tools to help their kids sleep well. I started on this journey because my first, who is now almost four, had a really tough time with sleep. And it's funny, now I have a second and I tell people, I'm like, if he was my first, I'd be like, why do people need sleep consultants? Like, why is this even a thing? Like your kid just goes to sleep if you do this, this, and this. And we tried absolutely everything with our first and, you know, doubted everything about being a mother, being parents, like, what are we doing wrong? So we worked with a consultant who literally changed our lives. So my background's actually in psychology. I had my master's in psychology, did a lot of work in developmental and behavioral psychology. So once I was like, oh, this is a thing I need to teach more parents. So I ended up getting trained um, and now I get to incorporate a lot of the strategies I already knew from graduate school and work on with parents um, on spe- sleep specifically. So I actually was really glad you asked about toddlers, older kids, because I love that age group. I think we hear a lot about baby sleep and you know sleep training. It's all like this hot topics to talk about, but we don't hear as much strategies for parents with older kids, sometimes you think, oh, it's too late to teach them how to sleep well, and it's absolutely not. I think there are so many things that come up, so really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, and with that, like, you know, we did sleep training, um, like our version of it, we loved it, and I I felt like we mastered baby sleep, like we really did. We were getting great sleeps. It was, all, you know, we'd go through the regressions and kind of have to recalibrate, but it, it was really great. And then with toddler sleep, I'm not making any assumptions on everybody, but I'm assuming for a small portion of people, myself included, that we don't talk about toddler sleep enough because by that point, parents, maybe like myself, just kinda say, Oh geez, just let them let them play, let them stay up, they're going to tire themselves out eventually. And we start caring a little bit less because especially as mothers, I think we are out of that scary new postpartum phase that can really take over and that sleep deprivation. So for my family anyway, like, I don't know, we we put both of our kids to bed at six. It's amazing. We love it. And of course, I know we're going to have to push it. But like right now, what we're dealing with, which is what made me really want to reach out to you, my four year old, it's like, Whether we put her to bed at 6 or at 9, she pushes her bedtime and pushes it and pushes it. And then she always gets up at 6.30 anyway. It makes no difference whether we put her to bed at 6 at night or 9 o'clock at night. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to continue to let this go because it is exhausting still. I don't have sleep deprivation, but it's still exhausting. So I'm super happy to talk to you. Uh, As you know, I reached out to my community and I was like, hey, you know, speaking of Jillian from Snooze Baby, if anybody has any questions about sleep, I got over 100 questions. I didn't even send you all the messages I got just because it it was so many. But I whittled Mm -hmm. them down and there's about 20 main things that I could kind of gather from everybody because everybody was asking the same question. And I found it very comforting Because I'm like, oh, my God, any problem I have with sleep, there's, you know, 75 other parents going through the exact same thing. And I just felt so much less alone. I felt like I wasn't doing anything wrong per se. But how do you feel if we if we get into it?
2: Yeah, I think that's great. Let's dive right in.
0: All right. Amazing. So first question, do you have advice for nightmares? Our kid is afraid of falling asleep after having one.
2: Yeah, that's a great question because that is a really common thing as our kids' imaginations are like developing like crazy, especially when you get into that older toddler preschool age, they're just, you know, taking in the world in so many different ways and then when we get into like older school age kids, they're actually more cognizant of everything going on in the world and so they're going to have nightmares about, you know, some of those things. So like real st- scary stuff. Yeah. The real scary stuff. Yeah. That like as adults, it can be scary for us, but we have some of those skills and coping tools to like, no, okay. That, you know, logically might not, not going to happen to us right now. Um, so yeah. So we really want to think about some ways like to really incorporate relaxation at bedtime. And so, um, especially for our real anxious kiddos and that can be some, you know, progressive relaxation, like body scans, like, and you can By really what? find it like a body scan. So it's where, um, if you've ever heard, um, it's a lot of deep breathing. So where you have in focus, like relaxing your forehead and kind of going through all your big body parts. And so that you can do that with your kids and you can even, um, walk through it with them. Like, okay, now, you know, we're going to breathe in a deep breath into our shoulders, into our abdomen. We're going to do it through our whole body. And I mean, I love doing them as an adult too. There's tracks even, I mean, you can find on Spotify or anything like a, somebody will talk you through that progressive relaxation can be really helpful.
0: Dude. Do they have it for kids?
2: So there are a few different products. I'm an affiliate for a product called Zenimal, which is like a little meditation. It doesn't have a screen, so that can be really helpful. Actually, the mom who started that, her daughter struggled with anxiety, and so she came up with that. So that can be really helpful. But even just simply walking through some of those, I actually I grew up a daughter of a mental health counselor for kids, so I feel like that has always been in my <laughs> toolbox. Different just breathing ways. Also, we want to look at the shows your kids are watching. So they might not seem scary to us as adults, but we want to think about that. So, like, my daughter got really excited for Encanto, you know, the soundtrack, we're singing all the songs. But then at night, it took a while for me to dig into, but the house coming alive was a little bit scary to her. And now that, like, that makes a lot of sense. Like, you hear a noise and you're like, is the house coming alive? So, we want to think about that. If your kid has started watching a new show, maybe we'll, you know, pair back on that a little bit um, until your, their imagination adjusts a little bit to knowing that that's not reality. And then just kind of normalizing in the night when they wake up and they have a nightmare. You don't have to just say, oh, go back to sleep. It's just a dream. We want to say, yeah, that's, that's okay. Like that was scary and it was real to them. But then also reminding them that they're safe, their house is safe, and then talk about it during the day. So when it's a less scary time, just talking about that can help too and remain them that at nighttime, they're safe, all of that. Okay. So like the
0: other night, Lucy started screaming, like screaming, like somebody was slaughtering her at like 2am. So I run upstairs. She was having a nightmare about the Grinch. And she was saying that the Grinch was going down the street and taking things off the street to put in his cape. And then she had me lay there with her for like, five minutes and talk about all the things and she's like mommy what else was the Grinch taking for his cave and I was like isn't this gonna make the nightmare worse but she wanted to talk about it and I didn't know what she dreamt so I just said I don't know is he taking doggies she's like no he's not taking doggies he's taking rocks and he's taking plants and flowers and I was like okay and she just she wanted to have that conversation and it was weird I didn't know if it was like a cathartic thing for her yeah yeah or, or not, but.
2: Yeah. You know what? That That's really interesting to hear too. One of my favorite things to do, um, with something like that, like where she's willing to talk about it and kind of wants to, you know, yeah, it is probably a little bit cathartic. I love to turn it silly. So if you can find a way to take it from scary to silly, like we did that with my daughter where she was talking about like a monster and then, you know, just something silly like, Oh, the monster was, you know, had a silly face or like something that can get them laughing. And so that, especially if you have a recurring nightmare, that can be a way for them to think about like, Oh, what if that scary monster had like five silly hats? Like that would be so silly. Maybe you can think about that. If you try, like, if you have the dream again, I mean, it might not work right away, but Mm -hmm. trying to turn it silly for their kind of meet their brain developmentally where it is can be really helpful. i think that's
0: genius. And what about night terrors? Because they're a little bit different. My brother used to have them, but like, are you supposed to wake kids up? Are you, what what do you do?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. My brother actually used to have them growing up too. And I remember they were like alarming as my younger brother. They are. And as parents, they can be really scary because your kid really seems awake and so alarmed. What we want to do with that is really encourage them to get back to sleep. So it might feel like, you know, you might've heard like, Oh, put them in the shower things. We absolutely don't want to do that. We want to get them, back asleep because they're not actually fully awake. They're still in kind of that dream state. So trying to calm your child's soothing voice, trying to get them back to sleep a lot of times with overtiredness, night terrors can show up. So we definitely want to look at, you know, what time is bedtime, make sure that's not too late, make sure your child's getting enough sleep. Otherwise it can show up like during, you know, when they have a fever, things like that. If it's a recurring thing that happens a lot, it'd be a good thing to talk to your child's medical provider to make sure there's not something else going on. But if it's, you know, every once in a while, that's definitely developmentally normal. And we just want to try to encourage them to get
0: back to sleep. That it They are so scary. I, just, I remember just my brother screaming bloody murder and he – for ages, like for minutes at yeah. a time. Yeah. And my parents would be so – like they'd be white-faced and shaky and dealing with it, right? Because it was so scary. I'm Definitely. so happy that we haven't run into that
2: yet. Same. Same. But. It is scary. It's hard for
0: parents. So a, one more question about scary things. So when you have a kid who's scared of the dark, I'm trying to think of the best solutions because right now – um, like somebody wrote in this question – But, you know, Lucy has been scared of the dark for maybe about a year and a half, like since she was about two and a half, I think. And we have like a a hatch. It's we love it, actually. It's like a a machine. We got it off Amazon and you can choose the color of it. You can choose how bright you want the light to be. And then you can choose audio to go along with it. Right. So we let her choose. So she'll choose a lullaby and then she'll make it bright pink. And it's pretty bright. And then she also wants the hallway light on, her door slightly open, and her closet light on slightly open. Her room is so bright. I would not be able to fall asleep in it. But it's the only way because she's scared of the dark. However, tonight is our first night that we are moving the young one into her room. So she's going to be starting tonight sharing a room full time with her two-year-old sister. And Betty sleeps in pitch blackness like you cannot see your hand in front of your face. How do I reconcile the two? What do I do? Because I need to teach Lucy not to be so scared of the dark because then Betty's yeah. not going to sleep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really tough. And it's a common thing that parents deal with, especially um, as you get into that, you know, later toddler preschool or kids. I mean, yeah, again, the imagination piece is a lot of it too. So definitely, you know, For families that aren't using a nightlight yet, you can definitely do that. The hatch is great for that. I would recommend something that's like reddish or amber. And so that pink, I mean, it seems like that's semi in that range. And the reason for that is any sort of white or blue light can be stimulating and can work against melatonin production. So we want to um, help our bodies kind of be prepared well for sleep. And then as far as the actual like fears around dark, this is, this can be tough because we want our kids to feel comfortable for sleep, but we also don't want to build into the fear where we're also saying, yeah, it is a little scary. We better make sure it's bright enough for you. And that, that can, sometimes it can reinforce that things are scary. So the hard thing is there will be some pushback if you were to, and you could meet in the middle with the two of them. It doesn't have to be It would take a little bit of an adjustment for both. If you went fully pitch black, you know, one's going to be upset if you went bright and the other one's not going to sleep well. So you could meet somewhere in the middle. And the one thing I would encourage families to do to any big changes that are happening, even like with, you know, room sharing changes in the light, all of that, talk about it some during the day leading up to bedtime so that it's not right at bedtime when everybody's tired, like it's this huge change that can really help the prep during the day. Um, can help. So maybe it is where you move to just having like the red light on the hatch at night and you talk about, you know, I know you might feel scared that it's dark and it's okay to feel scared. You know, I feel scared sometimes about things. So validating that's okay to be scared and then reminding them that they're safe so that we're not saying, oh yeah, there are, you know, our actions might be saying there are actually some scary things. So let's make sure you can see and make (laughs) sure they're not there. It doesn't feel like that, but that
0: might be what's happening. So yeah, does that answer that question? It does. No, I think that's great. And I, I'm thinking now, even while you're talking, about even moving the light closer to Lucy, because right now it's kind of up high. But then if I move it beside her bed, then maybe it'll be blocked a little bit from the little one in the crib. And then Lucy has the full effect of the bright Absolutely. amber light now. Now that I know that, I didn't know. She ch- like picks a different color every night. I have never, ever thought about checking if her you know, trying to fall asleep in the success and not success we have corresponds to the color of the light she chooses for that night.
2: And honestly, if she's already sleeping well with the light color you have, I don't think it's, you know, causing any issues or anything like that. Like it's not, doesn't mean she's not getting restorative sleep, but if it's something where especially for your second moving in. Um, If she's not used to it, that could be more stimulating if it's one of those. But I always, this is kind of like my um, overarching themes. I always tell families, like, if something's working, there's nothing wrong with it. Even if Mm -hmm. experts are telling you advice on it, like, you know, what's best for your family. So um, just wanted to reiterate that too, for families don't have to make changes if it feels like something's working well.
0: Yep. Okay, good. And (laughs) good, because so a lot of people asked me about, crib to bed transition for their older kid and it's so funny because people have been asking me a lot about that like personally because we went through that recently we like lucy never she could climb out of a crib but she wasn't doing it and she's big enough now that she can kind of do it you know like safely i guess like she knows how to do it so she had no interest in getting a big kid bed then one day she came up to shane and i and she said mommy and daddy I'm ready for a big kid bed. And we're like, great. Went to Ikea, got one, put it together that night. She was in one. And it really just extended her bedtime because she was so excited to have all that space now and all that freedom. But then, I don't know, maybe about a month ago, she was really having a hard night one night. And Shane went up there and he's like, Lucy, like, if you can't stay put, we're going to have to put you back in the crib again as like a mild threat. And she goes, oh, I think I might like that. I want to sleep in the crib again. She's been in the crib ever since. She doesn't want to go back to her big kid bed. But tonight she has to. I got to put her back in the big kid bed so the baby can go in the crib in that room. And it's just like this weird thing. Anyway, people were saying that maybe I was keeping her in the crib too long in the first place. She's four now. But she prefers it. Yeah and she goes to sleep quicker. So what's your take on what's your take on a good time to do a transition and how to do yeah.
2: it? Yeah. that's a great question and I feel like what you've navigated is like yeah, a very common thing. It makes a lot it makes a lot of sense. I actually am on the like the older side range and usually most sleep consultants will say try to stay in the crib as, as long as you can, like, Mm -hmm. as long as it's safe, like your kids not flinging themselves out of their crib, um, you know, any of that. And I always say, even if they're trying to climb, let's try a sleep sack first, because we can try to do some things to prevent crib climbing. I usually recommend at least till age three, if not later. And then that kind of depends on like, does your kid still fit? Are they still enjoying it? All of that. You'll hear. Yeah. Parents all the time will be like, well, I put my 18 month old and they did fine. Um, but when we think about developmentally what kids can understand with the expectations around sleep, it's really not closer till three that they can really understand saying, we want you to s- you stay in your bed all night and then you sleep till morning. That's where we start seeing some of those like coming out constantly. When they're under that age. That can happen a lot. Um, so if we're trying to match that developmental age three or later, my almost four year old she just got in her bed as well, like a big kid bed. I would say, don't ever make the change around other big life changes. So we kept her in there for a while too, because we had a baby and then it was like, that is a huge monumental change in a toddler preschoolers world. So we want to, and, and changing beds is a huge change in their world. It can feel like small changes to us, like, oh, it's just a bed to an adult, but it's like to a to a toddler that's their whole like world is changing so we want to make sure that we try to do it when there's not you know maybe a couple months or so before or after big other life changes
0: mm-hmm. and when it comes to sharing a room like prepping kids to room share with a sibling um because like the girls we've been talking about it for a long time and we do it when we're at the cottage the room share Uh, which is, you know, semi-frequently. And then they room shared recently on a vacation, but never on a daily basis. It's it's because I've been so scared to have to wake up and go to work if they had like a terrible night and kept each other up all night. But now it's summer vacation for me. So like, I'm ready. And then I was going to start it tomorrow, but I accidentally said I was going to do it tonight. Lucy got excited. So I'm like, fine, we're (laughs) starting tonight. But do you have tips on how to prep them? for this? Cause now I'm starting, like, I'm really starting to stress out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I know. And that, yeah, that's a big change. So I love that you were already talking about it. Cause that would be one of my tips, even just like casually talking about it, even if it's months leading up to it, like, Oh, when you get to share rooms together, we've started planting the seed too with my older. Cause I'm like, I think we might do that at some point. So I'm just going to start because transitions are hard for her. Like they are for a lot of kids. Um, So talking about it, even just kind of casually prepping. So it's not like this big thing that all of a sudden happens. And then kids that already sleep well are going to do better with it. So if there was one or both that really are having a lot of trouble sleeping and you're having to be in there a lot. Trying to work on you know, if sleep teaching, sleep training feels comfortable to you, working on that first before putting siblings together for families that are interested in that can be so helpful because kids that sleep well are going to do much better in a transition like that. White noise is a huge one. Crank that white noise up. Don't be afraid um, to use that. Creating kind of their personal spaces. So even going back to the other question of like where to put the light and all of that. So trying to create kind of personal spaces there using any sort of charts, like bedtime charts, any sort of visual things like for an older child that's in there can be really helpful as things are changing. And then just talking about expectations. So especially if there's a younger child that's coming in, maybe there's a baby that might wake and cry in the night. Let's talk to the older child, the older sibling about what you're going to like want them to do if that happens. So if baby brother or baby sister wakes up in the night Um, that's okay. We're going to like mom, or daddy might have to come in, help them get to sleep, but you just keep trying to sleep and, you know, talking through that a little bit so that it doesn't turn into this whole thing where everybody's awake. And it really should, I mean, it'll be a little bit of transition, but as long as we can kind of keep those same consistent expectations around bedtime, it'll, that transition
0: will be smooth after a little bit of time. Yeah. I think the thing that has surprised me the most in the instances we've had to room share so far is that Lucy, the older one, is totally unfazed if Betty wakes up in the middle of the night crying. She just sleeps right through it, totally unfazed. However, when one gets up in the morning, if one gets up early, then the other one will get up too. That's the only really crappy thing, but totally unfazed by the nighttime crying, which really surprised me because she cries loud. Like, she's the loudest crier I've ever heard. But it was shocking how well they are at adapting.
2: Yeah. You know, it's interesting because when I work with so many family is for sleep teaching that if you like two, maybe the first one has been an awesome sleeper and they come to me with their second, like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And there's always a fear that like, well, our toddler is going to wake up and they're such a good sleeper. What's going to happen. And you know, it never, it never happens. Yeah. Like they're always fine. Even if there's some crying there in the beginning, they're okay. So our kids are more resilient when we realize even with sleep sometimes. So, um, room sharing can work really well. It can be like scary for parents as it's happening. Like, is this going to go okay, but it can work really well.
0: Well, I think what you said about having those conversations before you do it is very helpful because that's been getting Lucy excited over the last few months. And then today when I said it, she was really excited for tonight. Um, But I mentioned to her and again, like hours before bedtime, you know, that means that you're going to have to be really quiet when we tuck you in because you don't want to keep your sister awake, right? Because she pushes her bedtime this one. So I was like, so you're going to have to try to go to sleep quicker for Betty. And then she's like, oh, well, I don't know if I'll if I'll be able to. And I said, well, Lucy, every night you tell me you can't fall asleep because you're lonely. But now you're going to have somebody in your yeah. room. So you're not going to be lonely anymore. You don't have to feel lonely. So you may as well just go to sleep now. And she was like, oh, OK. So <laughs> I'm crossing perfect. my fingers. I doubt it'll work out as smoothly, but I'm like, at least there's hope, you know.
2: No, I love that. That logic, especially if you're like toddler,
0: like that, that works. So we'll see. (laughs) Um, all right. So my next question uh, from a listener. Our four-year-old sneaks into our bed every night and it's difficult to get him back to his own bed. Help.
2: Yes, this is hard. I will say. For any parent dealing with that, know that you're not doing anything wrong. This is like the most common reasons that I work with kids this age. It's it's normal in that like nighttime is when we're asking our kids to be separated from adults for like the longest time during the day. So we want to help them build those confident skills to like want to stay in their bed when they're tired because we know um, and this is where we want to look at timing because we want, we know their bodies are still tired, but something's on Like I need a parent there, or I need to go find, um, my parent. So there's a lot of things that come into play here. Um, it can take a long time. This usually takes three to four weeks when working with families one-on-one, just because there's a lot of pieces there. So what you'll want to do first, we want to look at timing. Are we sure that your kid, child is tired enough? So maybe your kid's still napping and they're taking a long nap during the day. And we might need to cut that down a little bit. So I would look at that could be what's happening first to make sure that your child isn't getting like so much sleep in the day that they're waking up at night and they're actually not feeling tired. Mm -hmm. And then as far as coming to find you in the middle of the night, I would want to know how are they falling asleep at night? And a, a lot of people, you know, need The kids need the parent there to lay with them in the bed to fall asleep. And so we would want to work on that so that they know when they're going to sleep and feeling confident that they can do that on their own, that when they wake up at night, they can do that as well. So really one of the methods that I use that if families were to do this on their own is the chair method. So you're sitting right next to your child as they fall asleep and every few days are gradually removing you a little bit further away. So your child can start learning those confidence skills. And so that when they wake at night and you're not there, they're not going to constantly come to get you. But then another piece of that is if you're only seeing those night times where they're in the middle of the night coming to get you, we want to look at how reinforcing that is. So we Mm -hmm. want it to be as boring and calm as you can make it. So I, for example, like I was working with a family and the last piece was we were still seeing a night waking. And so we had to dig in. Okay. What was happening when dad walked the three-year-old back to the bed? And it was the one piece of needing dad to tuck her back into the bed once we worked on the child learning how to tuck themselves back in and that piece was removed and it was just like it's time to sleep immediately that night waking was gone so we want to look at what are things that might not seem like so strongly reinforcing that might be causing that and then just the last thing is incorporating special one on one time during the day with parents so the child isn't looking for that you know really attention like filling their cup at night to get that one-on-one attention. I mean, we're all so busy, you know, we can be distracted with our kids. So just even 10 minutes, if you can find that time before bedtime to have really focused time, that can really help with those as well. And
0: you mentioned too much daytime sleep. What, like how, how much sleep should, let's do, you know, entering school age. I know a lot of my followers have kids that are around four, give or take. How much sleep should a kid that age be getting? And like, I, I don't know, like when I put my kid to bed, ideally at six, she takes until seven thirty nine some nights like it's crazy. But what do you think?
2: Yeah. So ages
0: about three to five, We they need about
2: 10 to 13 hours in a full 24 hour period. So some kids are still going to hang on to that nap um, till, you know, maybe at still at four, they're napping some kids, maybe at two and a half, they're not napping anymore. So there really is a lot of variation in that depending on individual kids. But we still want to look at 10 to 13 hours, some kids might be on the really low sleep needs, some people might be higher, but that's, that's a good average there. And then as far as timing, Bedtime can vary based off of if you're still taking a nap or not. So kids that are still taking a nap are probably going to have that later bedtime, eight to eight thirty. You know, if they're not napping anymore and maybe recently dropped it, um, yeah, maybe it's that six to six thirty bedtime. If you're seeing bedtime take a really long time, like stalling, taking a really long time to fall asleep, it usually means we want to push back bedtime a little bit. Occasionally, it means bedtime's a little too late. But that would be if, you know, if you're putting your kid down at like 8.30 or 9, I really like to see not any later than 8.30 because then our body's cortisol peaks, some of those things, it's harder to fall asleep in those later hours. And then usually nighttime sleep, the research shows is less restorative. So we usually want to go to bed earlier than 8.30. So, you know, anywhere from 7 to 8.30 would be most common. And then just shooting for that 10 to 13 for a 24-hour period.
0: Okay, awesome. Uh, next question. So this, this is, it's kind of similar, like, and I think you touched on this, but there's two questions, actually, actually I'm going to put into one. So one person asks, is representing like 30 people that ask this, their kid wakes up in the middle of the night, wants the parent to stay with them in the bed, in their bedroom. How do you get them to be brave? We've gone through that a lot, making things silly, scary things. Um, giving your kid time with you in the day right and then other people have written in asking like how do I get my kids to fall asleep on their own when I initially put them to bed because they want me to sit there until they fall asleep and it's just too much I could not imagine doing that oh my god every night so what what's a good remedy for that
2: Yeah, I love how that first question to ask about encouraging bravery, because I really love to talk with parents about that, because we do want to focus. One of the things I love to talk about is even just our tone of voice that we use with our kids around bedtime. I mean, the end of the day, like we're all exhausted. Right. And then our kid is like pushing back and asking for a drink of water and then coming out and asking for everything under the sun. And we're like, Oh my gosh, just go to sleep. Right. So we also want to look at, okay, what is our tone of voice when we're talking to them about bedtime? Um, We want to be really positive about encouraging language about what our kids can do versus like, saying, okay, if you don't do this. So one of the things is like, for example, we want to say like, I know you can stay in your bed all night. I know you can fall asleep. I know, you know, this might feel hard and it it does feel hard, but you can do hard things. And I know you can do this. I can't wait to see you in the morning. So just even the way that we talk about that, um, can help again with how to fall asleep at night, prep, prep, prep during the day. I love to talk, especially with kids that are in that, you know, preschool toddler ages is, role play during the day. So let's take it away from bedtime, away from any of the pressures around falling asleep or being alone and just, just kind of role play that. So it might be like, let's say your kid loves trucks or they love like paw patrols, toys or whatever. And let's just role play with those of, oh, like I think trucking is having such a hard time going to sleep and we're going to talk through what what it's like. Oh my gosh. And mom and dad aren't close by and, and, and talking about, oh, okay. Like working through those fears and letting your kid be like the actual, actual parents, letting them be the ones that help encourage, you know, falling asleep, just playing with those feelings at a time that there's no pressure can really help. Um, And it's amazing to like watch our kids come up with that problem solving. So that can really help. Um, Same with those wakes during the night, Uh, just kind of talking about it, working through it. And then with this age, consistency is huge. So things don't become a rule or an expectation unless they're really followed through. And an inch can go a mile. Mm-hmm. So if we're like, okay, you need to stay in bed, or we're we're going to read two books, and then they ask and they're like, can we read one more? And you're like, okay, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. So you're like, yeah, let's do that. So that might just feel like I'm just reading another book. Like reading's great, but actually, if we've set an expectation. We want to really hold that because then that can then translate in tons of other
0: things of, can I have a drink of water? You know, can I have this? Can I have that? All right, Jillian, we are going to take a quick break and let our listeners know who we're supported by. We're supported by True Earth. And if you listen to this podcast, you know that Shane and I have been taking steps to reduce our environmental footprints. That's true. One way we're doing this is by eliminating single-use plastics in the house.
1: Also true. Earth.
0: They add up And obviously with two kids Lots of laundry Lots of garbage it, It becomes a problem And our laundry room Was looking like A plastic detergent Bottle graveyard There was soap everywhere It was always just sticky
1: Laundry room
0: burn. It was a mess, but since using True Earth Eco Strips, we have not looked back. The laundry
1: d- room recovery.
0: <laughs> the detergent comes in these pre-measured, soluble strips, and you just simply rip them apart and throw them in your machine. They are so easy, and because there's no plastic, the packaging is just super compact, like cardboard stuff, and just keeps your laundry room looking tidy. You got more shelf space for other things. It's beautiful. Like it actually looks walkable we, in there. We
1: have over a year's worth of true earth and it it fits in like a little envelope.
0: Like what? Like it's what, an inch worth yeah. of space?
1: And I'm trained to think this is a ripoff, But yeah. no, it's not. <laughs> it's way more valuable than a massive jug that takes up the entire thing. Oh, like mass- a year's worth yeah. in a jug would fill the whole laundry room
0: good things come in small packages
1: that's what i always been trying to tell you
0: (laughs) but as a family with kids who have super sensitive skin like betty has really bad eczema we usually go for the baby detergent just it's fragrance free it's gentle on everyone's skin and it's still so tough on dirt but shane and i have recently fallen in love with their new scent the lilac Breeze detergent and it is gorgeous i love the smell love it on my sheets (sighs) Exactly. But check out True Earth Detergent at True.Earth and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10. For 10% off your order or your subscription, this 10% can go a really long way. You're going to love this product. Take my word for it. Again, that is True.Earth and ThisFamilyTree10.
1: But we are also supported by...
0: Mini Miosh. Mini Miosh is a premium, organic, ethically made, and sustainable clothing company that's founded and created in Toronto.
1: t T-Dot
0: mini miyash believes in quality over quantity and they make the best basics for your kids i'm telling you like these are soft comfortable timeless wardrobe staples that you can pass from kid to kid regardless of gender and we are so lucky because lucy got into mini miyash when you know we started dressing her in it when she was little and now betty has her entire wardrobe so it's been so nice they really hold up and They just came out with their women's collection. So this is the M and West collection through Mini Mioche. Again, simple stuff. It's all made of French terry and it is ethical and sustainable like everything else.
1: Not just for littles anymore.
0: For big mamas too. Their organic cotton fabrics are knit and dyed locally using GOTS certified organic cotton and low impact non-toxic dyes. Mini Miosh is an M West through them are on a mission to leave the planet better off for our little ones than when they arrived on it. And they believe that every little bit counts. So you can find the company online at mini com or at mini miosh on Instagram and Facebook. And if you use the promo code thisfamilytree15, you're getting 15% off your order. This is available in Canada and in US. And I have to say, this is only one use per customer. Ooh, stock up. Fill up that cart. You will not regret it. In fact, you're going to be thanking both of us. And again, that is mini and this family tree 15. And now let's get back to our interview with Jillian. We have ruined that so many times <laughs> and pushed so the expectations and then to recalibrate and get back to a level where you're saying, okay, no, we're doing two books. This is after we've just been on nine books and yeah. four songs. <laughs> and it's like, then we bring it back down. Then somehow we let ourselves go back up to the, you know, 54 books and 38 songs. <laughs> and it's like every yeah. couple months we need to just set the record straight again it's exhausting. That alone is exhausting, keeping track of the nighttime routine because it does get so long. And I find it is so hard to set boundaries because then if I'm look, like, no, like two books, then I get a tantrum. And I want to, yeah. I want to avoid the tantrum yep. and just have my set boundary. But yep. it's so freaking so hard. hard.
2: It's so hard. And it can feel like in that moment, especially like, as parents, like we're exhausted from yeah. the day and don't have the energy to deal with the tantrum. Um, but the hard thing is then it leads to another tantrum the next night and when exactly. something goes wrong. So my husband and I talk about this all the time and sometimes it's, sometimes kids are harder on one parent than the other. I feel like my daughter won't push as hard on me when I say this is the books, but oh, like when daddy's doing bedtime, it's like, okay, I want more of this and one more of that and one more of that. And so it is so hard and it gets harder before it gets easier with saying no to some of those things. But then that predictable in structure, especially like going back to like when things change, room sharing, a mm-hmm. sibling is born, all of that stuff. That's when boundaries might be pushed more. And it can be tempting to be like, hey, let's just, you know, they're having a hard time. They're going through stuff. Let's just be a little more flexible, but that can actually make it harder on kids. So that's where that um, consistency and structure can be really
0: helpful, even though it's so difficult. Oh my God, yeah. So, all right, the next question. I think this one can get answered quickly. I Correct me if I'm wrong. How to handle (laughs) daycare naps, making bedtime later, like 10.30 at night. Please God help me. Do I just say this kid's done with naps?
2: Yeah, it's so hard. So for, I would talk to the daycare because there people will say, oh, there's rules. We have to like let them sleep. But if we're really putting the child's needs first, going to bed at 1030 is
1: mm-hmm. n-
2: like not good for the kid so hard on the family. So I would definitely talk to daycare about saying, hey, can we give an alternative? Can we provide some books? And my, my kid is allowed. It's OK if they don't fall asleep, I'd rather than just do a quiet time activity. OK, when do toddlers drop naps for good? Once Yeah. Time. Varies, varies greatly. I've seen, I've seen two and a half I've seen, you know, four still napping, we really want to look at is bedtime getting so late. If so, then it's usually time to cap that nap as the first step. If that's still causing issues, then it's time to drop the nap together. And I like to offer quiet time for at least four to six weeks after you drop that nap, just to help avoid those late afternoon
0: meltdowns that we
2: all know and have experienced and are really hard.
0: Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Why does my toddler wake up randomly screaming every night at 3 a.m.? It's not nightmares.
2: Yeah, I would look at overtiredness. A lot of times when we see random wake ups, that could potentially be something going on. If it's the same time every night, I would make sure there's not like some environmental noise happening or anything like that. Just, to you know, sometimes that'll happen like 5 a.m., things like that. 3 a.m., I would point a little bit more towards overtiredness. So I would check out timing and, and all of that. Okay, what is a
0: good age to drop pacifier use at bedtime?
2: Oh, yeah, good question. So if it hasn't been causing issues, so I would say if it causes issues in that, let's say you have a young toddler and they're still waking up so many times a night, throwing the pacifier out of the crib and you're having to go get it, then I would say that that's probably a good sign that we should find um, a way that feels comfortable to teach them actual like in like internal sleep skills so I can get back to sleep rather than just needing the pacifier. Developmentally, I'd say we want to try to drop it by age three, just with um, oral development and all of that. So just if it's, if it's still working okay and your child's falling asleep, you don't have to get rid of it, you know, right when they turn, you know, our early toddlerhood, but I would say definitely by three, we'd want to try to get rid of it.
0: A kid gets out of their toddler bread every 30 seconds, which we've kind of touched on. How do I keep them in? And this is something I'm looking forward to. Like I could have written this question. How can I encourage them to stay in bed and not get out and play or not get out and go get a drink of water from the bathroom every two minutes? Like it's just that constant need of things. But what are some things I can do or say to be like, your body needs to your body needs to learn how to relax and if you don't allow yourself to relax you're not going to go to sleep it's so frustrating yes
2: yes so a lot of the things we've already talked about we want to look at timing because if the timing's not right and your kid's not tired enough or they are overtired, that that's going to happen where it's just like constant asking for things. Um, so we want to look at that first. And then, yeah, we really want to build those internal skills. So some people will say like, oh, put a door lock on things like that. I'm not a fan of adding any of those things because a really, my goal is like to help kids actually build those internal skills. Like, so they actually enjoy sleep and want to fall asleep age-wise, this is why we want to wait till closer to three. So they can understand that when you talk to them about, these are the expectations. I always like to talk about sleep rules and put them up on. Um, it can be even pictures right on their wall by their bed. And those rules are to stay in your bed. And then, I mean, you can come up with different ones and it's to not act, like, not, um, you know, ask for a certain thing. Like you can, you can put those rules, what works well for your family. And then you wanted to have like, okay, a follow through when that doesn't happen. So when your child comes out, what's happening then? Are, are we reinforcing that? Is it like, okay, I'm going to give you like another hug and another tuck in and all of this stuff. It can feel like, okay, that's going to be enough. Like we've filled them up. They're good. But that could be, then they're going to look for that again and again and again. So we want to keep it as calm as possible. And then one other thing, cause I've actually done this and my husband had to be like, Hey, the way your, your tone actually sounds like you're telling her she's in trouble, even though you're saying, I love you go good night. <laughs> and so think about our tone, um, because even if it's every 30 seconds and then you're going in and then maybe you're saying in a way that sounds like you're scolding them to say, stay in your bed. And then they're crying and upset about it. So we really want to make sure warmth and boundaries. We're saying it in a warm way, but they understand the boundaries. So you may have to have you know, a follow-up, okay, what happens when they, when they get up out of bed, how are we making sure that they get back in bed um, and have, you know, kind of consequences from there, but said not consequences and like they're in trouble, but like, okay, what are we going to do um, to discourage that?
0: Yeah. My tone definitely stops being like happy, go lucky. It absolutely stops that it gets a real firm. And when I say, I love you, good night. It <laughs> I remember I was so offended.
2: and My husband told me, like, he's like, it sounds like you're a scolding. I'm like, no, it doesn't. I'm
0: saying this so kindly. And he's like, no, you're not. <laughs> I love oh. you. Good night, student. <laughs> Um, Okay. So the next question, I've been through phases of this before too, and I've just waited them out because I didn't know what to do. But when your kid is waking up too early, like going through a phase of waking up at 5 a.m., like what what yes. can cause that?
2: This is so common right now, like early wakings because of like the length of daylight during the day too, where it's just our bodies naturally are like, Hey, it's time to start the day. Light is peeking right. in. so trying to, um, you know, invest in some sort of blackout solution, even if it's just putting black garbage bags on your windows, whatever it is, to try to help that. Even if it's like the light um, seeping in on the sides of the windows, that can be super stimulating. We want it to try to look as dark at 5 a.m. as it does at 2 a.m. It's really hard when the day starts early, but work on that. And then in in toddlerhood, even like once you get to like eighteen months or so, you can work on especially if if you have, if families have the hatch um, some sort of okay to wait toddler clock system. So it could just be a light where when it's a reasonable time to get up, if that's six a.m. for your family, if that's seven a.m., whatever it is, that it turns green or whatever color you you know, talk to your toddler about that these will be the colors and these are the meanings. So maybe you turn it yellow when you're getting ready for bed and then it's red all night long and then it turns green. And then a lot of families have tried this and they're like, oh yeah, but then we stopped using it. It doesn't work anymore. So that's where we want to make sure that and you can try it again. And then from here, be like, okay, we're going to be so consistent. And so and to, if they wake up, they come to you in the middle of the night, same like at the earlier question, you're going to walk them back. You're going to say, look, it's not green yet. I'll come get you. when it's green. And it's time to sleep i um, just referring to that clock, making sure that, you know, it's there and it has power that can really help with those early wakings.
0: Yeah, uh, I like that. We used to use it with the hatch and then we just stopped because things kind of worked out. But we yeah. got to use it again. That's the thing. Consistency is so key in every aspect of life. So I've got two more <laughs> questions for you. Sure. They're, they're both interesting. So this one is co-sleeping with our six and eight year olds creating future problems for both us and them. So there's a four person family in the same room or bed. I'm not sure.
2: Yeah. Good question. Yeah. When it comes to co-sleeping kind of any decision, like having a family bed, things like that, if it's working well for your family, I would say, you know, then it's, then it's the right decision. As far as like future problems, I would just say, as your, as your kids get older, like making sure that that's a choice that they want to make too, like that they want to be there. They're not wanting their own sleep space i think that's important as you know our kids get older that they have some you know choice within that as well and then as far as for you um like when you say would well, that create problems for us as the parents um i think that's too where you need to make sure you're communicating with each other is this you know how we want to sleep as well is there do we wish there a change are we only doing this because we don't know if our kids will sleep well if they're not in time? no matter what age your kid is are we just worried and we're doing this out of just being desperate. We want to make sure they'll sleep well because there are options to teach those skills. Um, but just checking in is like, is this what we want to do? Um, and then I would say, don't really worry about what other people say and making sure everybody in the family is on board with that.
0: Yeah. And I I think like for, is it going to make problems for us as long as both parents are on board with it? But I think if one parent is like, okay, maybe I'm not liking this anymore. Maybe my sleeps could be way better Then both parents are not on the same exactly track, right? Exactly. So. And I
2: have had, I have had a lot of families call like where it's like, Oh, you know, whatever, like one of the parents is like, I really enjoy the snuggles and I want to do that. The other parent is like, no, this isn't sustainable. And mm-hmm. I think it's not like, it's not working well for the family. So we probably need to talk about that and see,
0: you know, what would be a way to help everybody feel mm-hmm. happy about the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And the final question, my 16 month old is still waking up three or four times a night. Is it start? Sorry. Is it time to start sleep training?
2: I would say if those three to four times a night, which I could imagine they are, are <laughs> making it very tough for everyone to get rest. I think that would be a great time to start sleep training. I actually, with our first, it wasn't until she was 14 months that we finally got help. So it's never too late to you know, teach good sleep skills. And it can be, especially, I mean, at that age, I, I mean, it can be life-changing, especially if you have been, they say still being like, it's probably been dealing with it for that long. I know. I mean, that's really how my life took a shift. And now I'm doing this as my profession because it was so transformative in our family's life. So definitely would be a good good time. You'd probably be skeptical that it's gonna even work, but when it does, it can
0: be really life-changing. Um, I, I cannot stress that enough either because there is nothing worse and there's nothing that throws you off more than not getting enough sleep night after night. And we sleep trained like, I don't know, when, when Lucy was, what's the age, six, what's the age, 16 weeks that you can yeah, do something? Yeah, 16 weeks is when I start with them yeah. yeah. So that's when we started with Lucy. And thank God I did because I was really out of it. I was really, I couldn't enjoy time in the day with her. I had so much anxiety at nighttime. Like I'd be crying as the night approached and it was just so awful and then you have people in every direction saying, "Oh, just enjoy it. It'll be okay. That's She'll get so over it in a couple months." And I was thinking in my head, I'm like, "I can't physically do a couple months more. I can't. If I have to do a couple months, I'm either going to get super depressed or I'm going to like actually die of exhaustion because yeah. my brain is just unable to function." And it it was horrendous. And in sleep training, it honestly it saved everybody's sanity
2: in health
0: in my family.
2: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel so strongly and passionately about it as well, because it is, there are so many families that hold off or they worry that, you know, about their attachment with their children. Like there is so much research that you can build such a strong attachment and you can be a better parent for your child you know if you're rested and able to enjoy parenthood and show up at the way that you want to and all of that so Mm -hmm. um yeah i love hearing your experience that's awesome
0: well jillian this has been so illuminating so great and thank you so much where can people go to get in contact with you to check you out on instagram everything
2: yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a joy and I appreciate all of the awesome questions. Um, so yeah, everyone can find me on Instagram at snooze baby co um, on my website. Um, it's just snoozebabyco.com. Um, Yeah. I'd love to help more families become rested. So don't hesitate to reach
0: out and connect with me. Amazing. It's been so nice getting to know you. Are you from Rochester as well?
2: No, I'm actually, my parents are from New York. I grew up in the Gulf Coast of Florida and we moved from Austin, Texas to Rochester last summer. So I've been kind of all over.
0: (laughs) So nice. All right, well, again, Jillian, so nice to meet you and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. Take care. See ya, you too.
1: Good job, Alex.
0: Thanks, baby.
1: I have a question. Do you think that there's preteen sleep experts or you know when you're six years old experts on sleep because i feel like it's just babies and toddlers that people care about then you're just on your own
0: no jillian was answering questions on like six-year-olds eight-year-olds things like that and i think from my looking into it when you get into the preteen, it's less of a sleep thing and more of a mental health thing Because there's reasons, or a behavioral thing, there's reasons to why they're staying up at night. You know what I mean? Generally, unless it's like an acute problem where they have sleep issues. But yeah, I think it turns into something like that.
1: Well, you're good at answering questions and that's what this section is about. It's where you take the listener's questions, you answer them, and I just sit here and look at you in complete awe. (laughs) That sounded sarcastic, but I am honestly appreciative of the work you put into this all because I know it is quite a lot of work
0: no no no! i am super excited to get into it so the first question we have what is the craziest birth story that you've ever heard and at first i was saying there was like some radio show it could have been fallon's wife i know we brought him up but like who had the baby in the lobby of the hotel but the craziest birth story i've actually ever heard was on this podcast whose was it shane you know
1: It's not ringing a bell.
0: Okay, episode 88. Go back and listen to it if you want to hear a good story with Troy and Erica Campbell. So Troy is a buddy of Shane's from work.
1: Yeah, pulled off to the side of the road and they had the kid on the highway, which doesn't sound that wild only because we're so used to seeing this in movies, but happening in real life is unreal. And the footage that Troy got, just watch the footage right now. (laughs) It's Troy Campbell and his wife. He filmed how he framed it so perfectly because all the bits that, you know, she probably wouldn't want seen are perfectly covered. It's wild. But the baby coming out off the side of the road, it's dramatic. You got the call, though. He's being coached. That is. yes. And
0: they had to wait, I think, on the side of the road for like 10 minutes for the ambulance to catch up to them to then take them to the hospital. And by the time we had spoken to Troy, I still don't even think he took his car to get detailed.
1: No, yeah, he hadn't. And <laughs> Troy looks like a movie star, too. In fact, he's an actor. He, yeah. He's like, he looks like The Rock a bit. He's very ripped and mm-hmm. handsome. So the whole thing feels surreal because it's actually feels like it's fake and real at the same time.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I remember watching the video they had put out there and the bawling my eyes at work because there's a moment where you think it's not going to work out and then it does and it's beautiful and just hearing them talk about it together too on our podcast I think was really sweet but them recounting everything so again that's episode 88 go listen to that it is a wild birth story Shane do you know like you and your sister that your mom gave birth to I know she had complications but were they were they crazy because you guys are both c-section
1: I don't remember I remember it being warm in there <laughs> <laughs> and then coming out, like, my first breath, I was like, <gasps> and then it was just strange because I was so used to being fed through that oh, tube. Right. What's that called? Clor- umbilical cord. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they told my mom that she shouldn't have had kid- children. Mm-hmm. And then she was very happy that she didn't listen because I, you know, I'm such a good son.
0: Yeah. And then I know even my mom, after she gave birth to me, I had like a really awful, uh, I was going to say death, birth. And it could have re- gone any way. A doctor got in there with forceps which when we were being born was I think more common and now they're being phased out because forceps can lead to a lot of issues and I mean I've got lots of neurological issues lots like my seizures my complicated migraines nupus is nupus maybe it is lupus isn't neurological but there are aspects of it that are but he really I think screwed me up with the forceps and then my mom and I were both in the hospital for like a week after cause she was gonna die of some crazy infection
1: but you look good.
0: Thank you. I feel good now, 33 years later. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've recovered a bit. I assume my mother has too, but uh, next question. Wimbledon women are forced to wear white on their periods. What are your thoughts on this? So I was looking it up to see, because I don't know much about soccer, sorry, tennis dress codes. But white wearing white is a part of the very strict formal dress code if you're a tennis player at Wimbledon. And it's to kind of show like white who wears white people without kids or people that are like rich enough to have other people do the dirty diaper changing and feeding of their kids. Right.
1: I never thought about it, but I, I think you're right.
0: Like in Niagara last week, we saw a super wealthy looking family walk by. What what made them look super wealthy to you?
1: Shoes was just very attractive. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Shane, they were all in head to toe white silk. The no. woman was in white silk. The man was in white cotton. They were all in white. The no, whole family. No, the woman was wearing black. No, she was wearing white silk.
1: I'll never forget that dress she was wearing.
0: <laughs> she wasn't even in dress. <laughs>
1: okay, I literally
0: sure. won't forget the outfit she was wearing. We were great. wearing
1: both matching white outfits the day before. so <laughs> We
0: were. And I think we looked rich. But anyway, so that's one of the reasons I think that you wear white to Wimbledon. And it obviously, I think... In this case, you have to say.
1: Richest woman voice in the world.
0: But at what point do we say, okay, this tradition is not beneficial. It's never been beneficial. Fuck tradition. We need to ensure that our athletes, the female athletes, are comfortable.
1: I got an idea for a new color they should wear. Can you guess what it is? (laughs) Dark red? Yeah.
0: I like that.
1: Everyone just wears red. (laughs) And men wear red to support it
0: there you go but like why then I, I was thinking because I was like then if you're at Wimbledon you're playing in shorts other than white then it's like oh this person's on their period and then can you imagine the license that some sports writers would take with that and then say oh maybe she didn't perform well because she was PMSing that mm-hmm. kind of thing so there's a weird
1: or if she wins it'll be looked at like a performance enhancing thing like oh you yeah. only won because you were PMSing <laughs> <Yeah>. like, rah, <laughs> <laughs>
0: More hormones, PMS rage. Yeah. Like it would be turned into this weird thing. And I think, I mean, I assume tampon companies aren't just making tampons for like female tennis. That word was tampon again? Tampons? What did I say?
1: The first time I didn't know. I was just double checking.
0: Oh, tampons. Um, I assume they're making tampons not just for like female tennis players at Wimbledon, but you always see them, right? On the commercials and in magazines in the all white tennis outfits.
1: Here's where I disagree with you. I think the only reason tampons exist are for female tampons.
0: (laughs) Tampons are so good. Um, Next. (laughs) No, I recently, okay, I'm just going to elaborate a little bit. I've been using the cup for many years. I love the cup. My cup's not doing it for me anymore. What
1: happened?
0: My periods got really crazy after two kids and the vaccines apparently can affect your period. Somebody said, OK, even,
1: non no, somebody's
0: a... even said COVID, getting COVID could impact your period. Um, and clearly something has happened because they are crazy. They start one day, they go away for two days and then they come back. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's not. So I've gone tampons again. I am not looking back. There was an article about an auntie babysitting her four year old niece and ended up breastfeeding her. Would you do this in a situation if you were the auntie?
1: Absolutely not.
0: <laughs> you wouldn't breastfeed uh, niece or nephew, Shane?
1: It, well, the question is, I can actually answer this because it says if you were the auntie. So in this scenario, I could be the auntie. Mm-hmm. And as the auntie in this hypothetical, I wouldn't pull my breasts out and feed someone who wasn't my kid.
0: So like I looked up the article and it was that the parents went away, you know, for an evening not overnight, but I think for an evening, and then they didn't, because the mom was breastfeeding, they didn't have enough formula for the babysitter, the aunt, to feed the kid all night. So then the aunt was like, oh man, like there's no formula. I don't want to pack up and go to a store. I have breast milk, so I'm just going to feed the kid so that she stops wailing and hunger, fed the kid. That is a wild assumption to make, that the the family is going to be okay with that. Because... That is, it's an invasion of space. And if you are in a communal living situation or you're in a place that does that without needing to talk about it, then culturally that's cool. But if you are not living in it, that is a huge invasion of space and family and everything. And it's, if you're in the position of the aunt, first of all, you get in touch with those parents and you say, hey, I cannot find formula in your house. Should I uber some here can somebody pick some up do you guys want to come home for a minute
1: or just send a photo of you breastfeeding and say (laughs) this cool
0: (laughs) like it, it was the mom apparently when they got home the woman was like oh she was so mad at me and then she stopped returning my calls and i can't figure it out it's like huge invasion of privacy of personal space a lot of people have to get over their own issues with even breastfeeding before they can do it for their own kids. So, of course, they're not going to be okay if a stranger does it. Or not a stranger, but not the parents, not the child's mother. So, yes, I would never do this. And I think that there are so many other avenues that this babysitter could have taken before doing that. But if she had called and the parents were like, hey, you got milk, go for it, then that's a different situation.
1: Okay, so let's say... Our friends, Mike and Danica, yeah. they're, they're babysitting Betty.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and Danica calls you and say, oh, is it OK if I breastfeed Betty? What do you say?
0: I honestly don't know. If it was an emergency, I'd be fine with it. But if she's calling me, that's already half the problem that these people had. That That's out the window. She's asking permission.
1: And, and you say yes?
0: I don't know what I would say. It depends what the extenuating circumstances
1: were. Well, let's have the phone call right now.
0: <laughs>
1: bring no- bring uh, hello hi alex it's danica oh hey dan betty's really crying oh. We're out of food and i'm just about to breastfeed her is that okay
0: oh um well i mean she's too
1: yeah she's too hungry if you ask me <laughs> so i've got two milk bags here huh? and i'm just going to use them to f- nourish her is that okay? i
0: was gonna say yes before you called the milk bags danica
1: well, I I don't know what terms you're comfortable with, but all I'm comfortable with is a well-fed child.
0: All right, you know what? Don't even worry about it. I'm taking the cat back home. We're gonna bring her. We're gonna bring her back to our place. But I really appreciate the offer.
1: Just the taste to have her stop crying. Then okay.
0: <laughs> Definitely not at this point.
1: Well, I don't know if we can be friends anymore. Goodbye. <laughs> I okay. think that went Good. well though. I guess the we salvaged a friendship
0: too. No, no, it worked out. No, it didn't. Um, okay. The next question we have. At what age do you think it's okay to leave a child at home for a short period of time? So first
1: I wanna say five, but that might be just selfish.
0: Yeah. I, I think, know, I'm
1: joking. <laughs> Twelve or thirteen.
0: Well, you're right on the money. And that's what I was guessing in my head before I looked it up. But In most Canadian provinces, they actually do not give a minimum age. In only three provinces do they give an age. In, where is it? I didn't write down the other two. It's like Manitoba and somewhere else. The age is 12. In Ontario, take a jab at what the legal age for leaving a kid at home alone is. 15.
1: 16.
0: Mm. You're in grade 11, 10? 10 for sure. 10, 11. That's so old. That's so old. I think 12 is reasonable. 16
1: What if you're a 15-year-old and you have a kid?
0: Yes. Yes, I don't know. You have to be living with the grandparents? I, I don't know. This is wild. And then I was looking into it. You can be actually punished. You can face fines and up to a year imprisonment if the cops have found that you're being neglectful of your... 16 and under kid and left them at home alone.
1: Wow. Well, that's one of those things where you read like, what are the strangest laws in Utah? You can't walk down the street (laughs) with a donkey or you could do 10 years in jail. Like no one's actually policing this.
0: I guess, yeah. I guess only in circumstances of extreme neglect or something would they probably use that. But I still think it's very high. And the majority of states are 12 too. I just don't know why they just don't make it 12. But what's like, I looking back... I mean, my parents were going out of town overnight, leaving me at home when I was 16. And I'm trying to remember the youngest age that I was left at home that I can remember. But in our day, like we were living in the days of like kids riding and bikes on bike gangs and staying out until the streetlights come on and
1: bike gangs.
0: Yeah. Like wouldn't all the kids in your neighborhood just get all together, all 12 of you and ride around? No. Oh, we would. Okay. we would. Uh, we were a friendly bike gang and didn't do any gang activity. It's just a group
1: of friend on bikes. Don't say bike gang. No,
0: but gangs is like a gang of people. Anyway, we we did that. And I feel like that's being left to your own devices. Like there's no difference between being out on the street with all your buddies without adult supervision and being inside your house.
1: Yeah, I think it's the same thing. I think they're just saying outside, inside doesn't matter. You need supervision.
0: Yeah, cuz I was I, I don't know. 7 years old on the street, 8 years old off the street. Like, you know, in the neighborhood.
1: What age do you think kids can go outside and play by themselves?
0: <sighs> oh, well, now I'm I'm freaked out about it and I want the kids within earshot until they are like 12.
1: Okay.
0: And they're not that age yet, but the thought of it freaks me out. Do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know the answer. I yeah, maybe, I don't know. I don't
0: know. <laughs> uh, all right, the next question. The koala parenting style. What is it and why are fans so furious with Kim Kardashian over this? This is the first time in my life that I feel like I can be any sort of an authority on the Kardashians. By the way, and I Cuz you
1: started watching it.
0: I like it. I like knowing. But koala parenting is it's essentially attachment parenting, right? It's the idea that And I think so many people in my community practice some level of attachment parenting in some way, but just the idea of having your kids close to you always like a mama and baby koala, which is apparently what... Kim does, although having watched her show, it seemed like she definitely didn't do that kind of parenting. I didn't
1: see those kids around.
0: I did I only saw them for like family photo shoots for Christmas cards. Yeah, it
1: seems like maybe the nannies are koala them, But <laughs> Kim's doing the opposite of what a koala does. Yeah. What is the opposite of a koala? I saw a pig eating a baby pig the other day.
0: <laughs> Blue jays eat the babies of other birds.
1: Yeah, but this pig, we want to find the opposite of a koala, it its which own- yeah, but I, it turns out pigs will eat their own babies if they're like they don't feel like they're gonna make it anyway.
0: I'm gonna vomit. That's disgusting.
1: Yeah, and yeah. Uh, now I was gonna make a bacon joke, but for <laughs> I was gonna say pigs love their bacon, but it wasn't even good. Why would I even say it?
0: I'm glad but you Alex did. really liked I the did, joke. So I'm glad you did. It's funny. So attachment parenting, you know, it promotes a close connection, but. Because it came out that Kim said that she does this attachment quality parenting, people are now using it to blame for her kids' bad behavior when they're seen having bad behavior out. And they're mad at her, as far as I can tell, for letting her kids grow up to be obnoxious. But...
1: Are her kids obnoxious?
0: No, they were acting out. She was on The Fallon Show, and she brought two of her kids, and they were, like, acting out and talking loud and laughing during the filming... So then she stopped the interview and reprimanded them and then had them. Is this go, on TV? Yeah, you can see it online. Oh. And then I guess Fallon had them go and sit in a green room in the back mm-hmm. where they stayed for the rest of the taping. And it's like kids did something. There was a consequence. And then a way out of that, right? They watched it instead of the, in front of everybody, they watched in the green room. where Maybe they were more comfortable. And it's like that actually seemed like a good parenting move. I thought that was a good parenting
1: move. Well, what's the alternative? No, I know. There is no alternative. So in front of cameras and people, you have to do that. Yeah, Who knows how she really is? She could be fine. She could be terrible.
0: Yeah, but I I, I don't think that you can blame an a, a parenting style like that. Because with attachment parenting, like we've spoken to so many experts on this podcast about it. And there's always consequences. And it mostly comes down to the parents modeling behavior for kids anyway. But...
1: Yeah, I just don't like judging people in general. Like I kind of do, like <laughs> in a fun when, way, when we're going to bed, like making fun of people. But I don't <laughs> like publicly making fun of parenting styles because at the end of the day, you just have to, unless it's dangerous and other children are mm-hmm. legitimately at risk, you just have to let other people do do what they do because some and some things might work for some kids and not work for others yeah you know what i mean like you could have the most well-behaved children in the world and it's like well we just raise them right but you could do the same (laughs) thing with your next kid and they'd be a terror
0: absolutely so it's it's luck no that's why you have families with serial killers and then the other kids are normal
1: (laughs) i I i was eating at what's the restaurant down the street the one i was at by myself before like the the Newfoundland restaurant.
0: Oh yeah, uh, Stage Diner.
1: Stage Diner. And I'm there with just Betty and Lucy and they're being well behaved. And a man walks up. He's like, "I just <laughs> want to say it's uh, you're such a good dad or something." <laughs> I go, "No, like they I, I go honestly, she's just very quiet. Betty's very quiet and Lucy's pretty well behaved." He goes, "No, it's good parenting." And I was like, I don't know if it is like we our next kid might be a night. We're not having another kid, but you know what I mean? Well, it's I also, was getting so much credit,
0: you know, but it's also like, oh, see us on a different day in a different restaurant when the kids are going badass and it's going to be a totally different situation. And then we're going to have people thinking in their heads, oh, it's the parenting like things like that haunt me. Like the one time that I took Lucy and Betty clothes shopping because I had to get clothes for work. And Lucy starts having conniption, tantruming. I can't calm her down. She's on the ground, flailing her legs everywhere, flopping like a dead, uh, dying fish on the ground. And all the women in the store are like, nobody said anything supportive or even gave me a supportive look. They all were thinking it's bad parenting.
1: I bet you they don't act that way around their father.
0: (laughs) If they have one. (laughs) definitely definitely judgmental thoughts going through people's brains and it's the worst like cut it with all that we all end up in the same situations at some point and let's let's end it there i think that's a very positive happy note to go on
1: we're all gonna end up in the same place sometime yeah uh, six feet under (laughs) thank you so much for listening to this this family Family tree Tree Podcast. podcast
0: episode 135